0: Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday, anyway. And what we do when we gather is we discuss the issues between rural and urban America. Historic day, January 2021, is upon us. And uh, here's what I'm going to do today. I just learned just moments ago that a dear friend, the late... Martin Jorgensen from Ideal, South Dakota, has been pardoned by the President of the United States this week. I believe that was the effort and the work of Governor Kristi Noem. I'll learn more about that later. Uh, if you don't know the story that led to that conviction, uh, literally Martin Jorgensen was the first person to be made an example of for being a small business in the beef business, trying to grow and do something. And... Um, It's a story that needs to be retold, but he's been pardoned by President Trump this week. This conversation with one of Martin Jorgensen's sons, the youngest one, Brian, took place on December the 10th, 2015, and today just seemed like a perfect time to talk about soil health.
1: You would think after 15 years we'd have all of those issues solved, wouldn't you? (laughs) Yeah, we would think so, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If we're any good, Brian Jorgensen, ideal South Dakota Jorgensen land and cattle. I don't know that you've ever been on a rural route. No, this
2: is my first. This is my first debut.
1: Your ma- <laughs>
2: first debut. <laughs> can you have two debuts? Well, I think you can, but uh, <laughs> let's call it. Let's call it a debut. How's that?
1: <clears throat> we are. I would call it the maiden voyage. There you go. That makes it sound like there's a lot more good stuff to come. Right. Yeah. We are in Pierre, South Dakota. The 67th annual South Dakota Cattlemen's Convention uh, concludes today. I reckon. Today the last it day. It does indeed. Yes, I yeah. think this afternoon is the the final final rundown here. And how fitting that uh, is this more fitting than anybody will ever know, other than Kelly and myself, that uh, I'm asked to come and speak on the year that the Jorgensen family is recognized for their efforts in conservation. And Brian, I don't know how long often you, everybody wants to talk about Angus cattle when they visit <laughs> with the Jorgensen, but you're a dirt guy. I'm I am a soil guy. How's that? I was <laughs> wanting
0: you to fix that,
2: <laughs> yeah um it, it my my father Martin and uh, my brother Greg, my nephew Cody, my son Nick, uh all of us kind of have our specialties, but uh, the cattle obviously have always been what drives the operation, and rightfully so uh you know they the herd is deep in integrity, uh Martin is deep in integrity in building what he did, uh, but somebody has to grow the food, feed those critters. And it's always been my interest anyway in terms of uh, mechanics and the farming aspect of it. That's where my passions have always lied. And so it's just, uh, it's nice because uh, you know, everybody has a place and it's a, a full circle operation because of that.
1: Uh, you do know, I think, that Martin, your father and mother, Mary, are on Loose tails today. Yes, that's uh, wonderful. And I do five shows every day. There were five generations of Jorgensen's here, so I do have a show for each generation. (laughs) 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 The youngest one might, we'll we'll have to do a short show on that one. Right, right. But anyway, I asked him about that that, that question about soil health and some of the things that we're going to talk about today. And he said, Trent, we sell 3,500 bulls a year. They eat a lot of feed. Somebody's (laughs) got to grow the bull food.
2: That's so true. <laughs> it, and that's really, what, that's really what it's all about. It's kind of a full circle thing. You know, cash grains are important in our operation, but 70% uh, you know, of what we grow is going to go through those animals uh, in one form or another. So that's the big part of it. Uh, secondarily, it makes my job as a crop manager much easier because I can grow so many different
1: things, which leads to the diversity aspect
2: of the soil health, and it's, it's a great component.
1: My father spent some time, and he does not today. I don't know if he knows why he doesn't, um, because people all do ebbs and flows in, in farming styles, and he spent some time no-tilling. And by the way, he's in Illinois, not on the, the prairies of South Dakota and the Great Plains, which I don't personally think matters, but that's beside the point. He did some no-tilling, and I knew that there were some benefits to that, but it wasn't until you called me one day, you were having, a, I believe, an August field day of some sort, and I come over and I spent the day with the folks and and you got so excited about soil and the difference earlier in case people missed it was there's a difference between dirt and soil and the earthworm activity and what you were able to teach people visually has never left me it has always stuck with me and still I incorporate when I'm talking to anybody USA about what it is that we do it all came from that day that I spent with you and it was just a breakthrough moment for me in understanding all the things we should know about soil
2: health. Absolutely. Uh, so many of us in production agriculture uh, really take for granted that resource that we have. And until we really understand that it is a living biological system, that once you understand that, it's extremely humbling. Because you, you realize that there's, there's so much power in that system. And it's God-given. And it's been there since for millennia much, much longer than we have. And all we've done is come in and screw it up, frankly, um, over the years. And so if you can get that in your mind and understand that it is a living system and that it needs to be managed and it needs to be nurtured, and if you do that, it will provide for
1: you very, very effectively uh, and for many generations. Through adversity. Through Drought adversity. becomes something that is easier to manage through when that soil health is there. Yes.
2: The greatest teacher I had was the native prairie system. And just observing it and how it works through all those complexities, whether it's hot and dry or cold and wet, uh, it doesn't really matter. It somehow seems to survive all of those conditions, and it flourishes. Uh, And if you manage it properly, it it feeds us. Uh, If you don't, it blows away and becomes a desert. And we've seen that happen over history uh, in, in other countries. The Arab countries, for example, thousands of years ago were wealthy countries because they had an agricultural base. Well, through cultivation, they lost their soils. Mm-hmm. They eroded away, and now they're a desert. And Now they have to depend on something else to provide them food or somebody else to provide them
1: food. And we really are here uh, only a breath away from doing the same thing. At the same time, I use this as an example of the progress that we have made because I think that every person who tends to the soil still could learn more. We all can learn more every day. But during the 30s, we had drought. We had high temperatures, we had high winds, and we all know that we had soil erosion and environmental devastation, unlike we've seen in the history of this country. But few people really have taken the time to stop and look that from 2000 to 2007, and then the extreme year in 2012, we had less measurable precipitation in that 12-year period of time than occurred during the dirty 30s. That is absolutely right. And there is some gratification in that,
2: in that we have made some steps to improve. If we today were still farming like we did in the 1920s and 1930s, we would be depending on somebody else to provide us food because our soil simply would be gone. And so there's over the years, there's been a lot of effort. Since the 1950s, there's been a lot of efforts to conserve. Were they always the right things to do? Not necessarily, but as we go along, we've gained more and more of an understanding of how to manage that properly and still make a living on it. And, and in the process, make the soils... At least closer to what they used to be, or what they should be.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: you were <clears throat> part as being recognized as the family for the Leopold Conservation Award. You put together a tremendous, maybe five-minute video piece. Yeah, uh, I love that. The your breakthrough moment, yeah, when it really hit you. I'd like you to share that story. Sure.
2: Of. Yeah, the aha moment. I call it. Uh, well, you know, I grew up cultivating. I mean, tilling was part of part of the way we operate. Uh, and so one of the things as we transcended from summer fallow, which was dirt black fallow, to winter wheat, you know that's that was probably the one devastating thing that we did. It was very obvious to me early on that that was a devastating event. You were basically killing the soil. It became dirt. So as we transcended into the uh, mid 80s, we started looking for equipment that were less destructive, at least in our eyes, less destructive. And one of those pieces of equipment was a what we called a noble blade and ostensibly was a five-foot V-shaped plow that ran horizontally in underneath the soil surface and basically sheared it up and away from its parent material, but it left the top virtually untouched. In other words, all the residues were still on the top, which looked like, to me, a, a very effective way of preserving the topsoil, but yet killing the weeds and killing the, the growth that was there. But as we got to looking at it, and one day I was just... Frustrated because we're spending all this time and effort undercutting all this material. And I got out and looked, and I, I looked at a clod of soil that happened to be flipped up and over, and there was a whole litany of wormholes and organic material, and it was just a beautiful piece of soil. And at that moment, I realized all those macropores and all those micropores that were there were now sheared away from the rest of the soil beneath it. And I just started thinking, where's the water going to go?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, obviously, you know, it, it isn't going to go. It's going to fill up that four-inch profile, and then it's going to wash away. And it was at that moment that, in my mind anyway, that uh, we needed to make a change. And uh, literally, I took that clump of dirt to my dad and said, Dad, look at this. You see these wormholes? I I cut all those off. Where's this water going to go now? we got to make a change. And we literally put that thing in the trees and took the tires off. it. And uh, what year was that? Uh, It was probably in 1987 or
1: 88, somewhere in that range. The funny part about that story, when I was in Maryland this week on Monday, there were people asking me, and why do you farmers in the plains put your equipment in the trees when you're done with it? (laughs) 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 Brian Jorgensen, Jorgensen Land and Cattle, recipients of the Leopold Conservation Award at the South Dakota Cattlemen's
0: Convention in 2015. It's 2021, I know that. Brian Jorgensen, ahead more on Roll Route.
1: Welcome back to you, Rural Route Up Loose. Brian Jorgensen sitting alongside. Are you typically here doing this kind of thing, Brian? Like, people are wondering, what's wrong? Is he going crazy? Yeah,
2: <laughs> they, yeah that's common. Yeah. It's common. Pull that deal come.
1: right on top of you there.
2: There, how's that?
1: Uh, you know, um, reminding people, we're at the South Dakota Cattlemen's 67th Annual Convention in Pier. Your first one. It's my first one. Yeah, I've never really had a reason to come. No interest in coming. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, There's a lot of, many neat things. We talked about a video. We're going to talk more about the video. We're going to talk more Mm -hmm. about soil health. But I am absolutely, you know, the most inspiring thing of this week for me? What's that? Martin and Mary Jorgensen running around here dancing and inviting people. Do you know that they're inviting the world to the (laughs) 70th? wedding anniversary next <laughs> july in ideal south dakota
2: well that's great uh, i hope they do uh, that's you stop and think about that trent that's an amazing feat uh i personally i don't know how if, if my wife could stand me for 70 years i think she'd probably kill me before then but what a what an achievement what a what a couple they are it's just an amazing thing to have them in our operation we're so blessed it's just fun to watch them you know it's it, it's funny how your your life transcends from being a child of theirs, and then you kind of grow up, and mm-hmm. you, and they all, all of a sudden they become your children, and you're taking care of them, and <laughs> guiding them, and helping them, and but wow, it's so special.
1: It really is. And uh, while we're on that vein, can we talk about the, the writing that's taking place? Sure. Yeah, oh, we can talk about what, that. I, for years, want, I, I didn't want to write the book, but I wanted to come up and just do a, a a, a big video repository of Martin yeah. Jorgensen and all of the ideas that are in his head about most of his are, tend to be about breeding cattle, most not of breeding them, yeah. a better corn plant. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> but I just wanted to put plant. together that series of videos with Martin Jorgensen. But fortunately, somebody's going to write a book, right? You know, we came about, uh, we've always, Greg and I, uh, over the
2: years, have talked about it, and my sisters. Uh, but it really didn't come to light until. Uh, The first year we had Thanksgiving in our new lodge, 2012, and the whole family, uh, all of my sisters, their kids, their grandkids, and it was an opportunity for mom and dad to see their entire, you know, all their kids, their whole family in one spot, and just sitting around the bar, and dad was started telling stories Mm -hmm. of, you know some of some of my relations that don't get to see him often we would ask him you know well how did all this come about you know what did you do so he started telling stories about the first bull that he bought and the the first first that he bought stories that i had never heard stories that greg had never heard really and greg and i looked at each other and god we have you ever heard this no no i've never heard this so that's when we you know we we got to capture this we got to start we got to find a way to to capture all these things that we don't even know uh, for the generations to come to understand. Absolutely. And so, uh, it was in Cincinnati a year ago. I had to do a, a talk down at the National No-Till Convention in Cincinnati, and I ran across to Susan Winsner who is a a writer, freelance writer, that was doing an article on soil health with me. And I happened to ask her about it off the cuff. You know, do you know anybody who could write memoirs rem- for my dad or do the do the deal? And she goes. Yeah, she gave me a couple names, and both of those names kind of fell through because they were busy and they were, they had kids in their life and they just didn't have the time to do it. And then she called me one day and she says, you know, I don't know if you know Joe Roybal, but uh, he's, he's no longer with Beef Magazine. He was there for 30 years. I said, oh, of course, I know Joe, absolutely. She goes, well, you need to talk to him because I think he would do you a good job. And that's what we did. We hired him, and uh, he so far has just been... Fantastic. He's interviewed mom and dad numerous times, and all of our sibling, all the siblings, and uh, the business acquaintances that he's had throughout his career. And I think it's going to be a, a really good piece. I really do.
1: Yeah, and Joe's perfect not only because he knows the industry, he's great at research, but he's uh, retired, so to speak, from beef. Right. So he was trying to fill his days anyway. Yeah,
2: it I was almost like the guy. Gods- wait till I hear from him on y- that one. But yeah. go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, I think it's going to be really good. And it's not something that we're doing uh, for profit. It's just a way of of documenting Martin's life. And, of course, if you know my mother, um, she's extremely, she's always, one of her passions has been collecting photos and putting together these enormous albums of the family and all the family history. So uh, he was probably initially overwhelmed with all the information that he got, Uh, you know, the pictures and the stories and all the all the heritage clear back to probably five or six generations before martin uh so yeah, he's going to he's got a lot of work ahead <laughs> he's got a lot of sorting to oh, do man yeah
1: <laughs> well and then martin addressed that last night and we even myself we take it for granted because today we talk about data compiling and looking at epds or whatever the case may be he was doing that in the 40s and 50s when it was pretty much done by longhand Correct. Everything was written out.
2: Yes, and I can remember as a kid that all the, all the records were on these great big three foot by four foot cards. Mm-hmm. And he'd have, it was like a giant Excel, Excel spreadsheet, is basically what it was, but it was written out. And of course, all that stuff had to be transferred then to, to paper. My mom, I don't know how many thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of paper that she did transferring data. That was, our, that was our data collection and, and management system at the time. It was I think she called up. them
1: cow Cal cards last night. Cow cards,
2: yeah, exactly. And, and so, yeah, I mean, data collection for me has always been a norm uh, ever since I can remember. Everything we did, we documented somehow, whether or not we used that documentation to make decisions all the time. But the fact remained, we collected the data.
1: And you're still doing that today. Oh, as, yes. it, as it involves soil health even. Yeah. I mean,
2: we with the technology that's available to us with the Precision Ag side, and, and Nicholas now has developed apps for the phones and the iPads that help us collect data on everything that we do, everything. Um, and it's simple. It's all been streamlined. And so it data collection is one thing, but being able to interpret and use the data to make good management decisions is another. And I think that's what separates us is
1: we've learned how for the
2: most part, to use that data to make better management decisions.
1: That's a great point because we have access to all the data in the world. Yeah. But few of it, it takes some time to really sit down and figure out what does this mean yeah. and how, how should I adjust and manage differently according to that. And that's I think that's where the biggest breakdown would come.
2: It is, absolutely. And so there's no bigger variable <coughs> system than there is in the soil. The soil has so many variables going on. And so when you start trying to make management decisions or changes within your practices on a layer-by-layer type of system, it's very difficult. It's complex. Every part of that field has a different soil type, and every soil type has a different characteristic. And learning how to manage those is, is a difficult task. The technology
1: has made it a lot easier. And then you factor in different soil types, and knowing that you have one billion organisms in every teaspoon of soil, isn't that an amazing? I fact. just can't even get my head around that. I that's, just repeat it like I know what I'm talking about, yeah. but I have no idea what that means. That's, yeah. that's a lot of living critters in your one teaspoon of soil. Yeah.
2: It, yeah, You think about that, and it's an overwhelming thing to try and grasp. And but those are it, once you understand that, Trent. Once you under <coughs> once you understand that there is a living system there and then it has to be nurtured, then everything changes. If you can get your mind around that and how that system works, things begin to change. We become less dependent on the fertilizer dealers and less dependent on the herbicide people. Uh, Things just start to happen naturally,
1: and it's an amazing, amazing thing to watch. I don't have time to get into this properly, but we'll just set the stage. We've got one minute. The other thing that you said that I think we need to really spend some time on... And you go across the three I states, including my father's place, there's not a fence left. Yeah. And so while I fully understand the segmentation that has taken place in agriculture, I've never really liked it. The diversity, I think, is coming back. But you made a, a great point on again on this video that everybody needs to watch. is One thing we've been doing is building fences. Right. Yeah, it's
2: counterintuitive, right? Uh, we should be... Farm and fence row to fence row, hell, that ground is worth $1,000 or $2,000 an acre. Mm-hmm. How can you afford to put a fences on it? To me, I think it's, it's part of that whole system to make it make it more fruitful, and we'll get into that.
1: It's, yeah. Fruitful. Perfect word. We do need to be fruitful. Ryan Jorgensen, my guest. We are in Pierce, South Dakota. We'll take a break. We'll come back with much more. The Leopold Conservation Award winners for this year. More after this. Yeah, just as a reminder, this conversation with Brian Jorgensen did
0: originally air in 2015, December the 10th, and we are bringing it to I am
1: bringing it to you today in the spirit of the late Martin Jorgensen, who we lost last year. Uh, speaking of Martin Jorgensen, nobody was more instrumental in bringing genetics and the importance of true genetics to the forefront. Artificial insemination across purebred breeds of cattle. Really can be traced back to his efforts and, in fact, a lawsuit against the American Angus Association to make it happen. Martin was always on the forefront when it comes to science
0: and technology. That's why you see today the Jorgensen family working with genomics and a DNA fingerprint to determine exactly what's happening in terms
1: of feed efficiency, meat quality, overall performance, and they'll be the first adapters of any type of innovation that comes along. Neogen is the organization working at shining a light on your genetic future. Details at Neogen.com. Welcome back to Rural Route. I'm Trent Luce alongside Brian Jorgensen. The middle generation of the five generations that was present, is present, at South Dakota Cattlemen's Convention. The one missing is probably laying on a beach in Florida. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. How does Greg Jorgensen become a beach bum? I don't understand this.
2: Well, you know, that's interesting. Uh, I guess age has something to do with that. He's he's coming up in years. I can pick on him because he is my older brother, uh, 13 years my elder. Uh, so, yeah, but uh, he plays a huge role in what he does down there. I mean, uh, if you know anything about our lease program, and I'm not an expert on it, but I do know this. Uh, we have to have an out for those bulls. There has to be a finish line. There has to be a uh, an end game
1: for those bulls. Let and me help you just a minute. The the bull lease program. You you have yearling bulls, two year old bulls, lease them out to folks for a breeding season, right. Ninety days. By the way, I've two of them myself. Yeah. Uh, then you get them back, right? And then sell them into what you're about yeah. to describe. I just want to bring people up. Sure. sure. The Gulf State markets. Uh, that's
2: where they want. Older, more mature bulls, 30-month-of-age or older bulls, and there's reasons for that. It's uh, You would think that the southern country would, you know, they have tons of grass, and they, you know, because of that, the grass isn't nearly as good or nutrient-dense as it is up here, so they have to eat a lot of grass to, to hold their condition. So they have to have a full set of teeth. They have to be stronger, more muscular to hold up in those environments, and that's where that's where the end game is for our bulls.
1: Yeah, and they need to be mature, not continuing in their growth and their maturity, because it, it, they will run short on nutrients. That's right. That's right. Well, they won't run short on nutrients. What will happen is the rancher in Florida will be forced to, co- it will cost more to maintain that that's bull and continue its growth. Otherwise, they'll fall behind, and an alligator eat them. <laughs> and not much profit in an alligator eating a bull.
2: That's, that's exactly right. And what we're finding out is that our bulls are lasting much longer down there than, than we anticipated Mm -hmm. in fact my brother greg will go to auctions and just kind of meet people and see and every once in a while he'll see bulls that come in the ring that have our brand on them and they might be five six seven years old since they've been down there that means they're eight or nine years old that's pretty amazing yeah it is yeah
1: it's a lot of alligator dodging
2: but yeah we need him down there and he's an important part i mean he'll be we'll be shipping roughly 20 to 25 pot loads of bulls down there in the next month or two so Uh, It's very important for us to keep that pipeline moving.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to touch on that. All right, before we went to the break, we talked about how important it is that we get fences back on our crop fields.
2: Right. So once you understand how the soil system works and that you need to have, for as long a period of time as you possibly can, a living root system. If you study native prairies, you'll understand that they have a living root system 365 days a year. In our culture of cropping systems, we don't have that. Once you take the crop off, there's nothing left in the soil system to host the biological activity that's there. And as you build more and more biological activity through no-till systems and diverse crop rotations, you've got to be able to sustain the biological component that you've created. And one of the ways to do that is cover crops. So we put in cover crops after winter wheat and what the cover crops are doing is extending the period of time that we have a root system, thereby creating a host environment for the biology. But that biology then is going to capture any of the excess nutrients that are left in that soil that the mm-hmm. crop before it did not use. And when you utilize it, you capture it. You keep it from moving into the water systems or off you know, into the streams. So you're, you're capturing the nutrient and you're cycling it and creating carbon. And that's really what we're doing. We're taking sunlight energy, making sugar, going to a carbon. And that's what we do. And the longer we have a root system in the soil, the more efficient that system begins. Cattle now make that component even more efficient because they're consuming those residues and then cycling that nutrient right back out on the soil.
1: It's not leaving the system. Breaks it down so that it can be more readily available. Exactly. Because a corn leaf laying there... Well, at some point, sure it will decay and become part of those nutrients. But a cow <coughs> makes it happen Bam. like that. And you know, and I know, the rumen is the most
2: amazing it organ. Is. It absolutely is. the cow itself is an amazing creature. What she can do, she can eat virtually anything you put before her, and convert it to energy. It's mm-hmm. an am- and at the same time, be a beneficial component of the soil system. And that's why we're
1: building fences
2: to take some of the pressure off the native prairies. And get more efficiency out of those soils.
1: I have to tell you, Brian, driving around, uh, not only in the Great Plains, but all around the country, in the fall of 2015, I see more cover crops on bean fields in particular than I've ever, ever seen. That's a good so, thing. So I think it's coming. It is. And it's this whole soil health thing, is the
2: momentum is there. Uh, you know, I started no-tilling in the 1980s, and it took forever for no-till to really grasp and take a hold. Uh, today in South Dakota, 46% of the arable acres are no-till. Really? Yeah, and that's a great thing. Cover crops now are coming on much more, uh, much quicker than the no-till ever did. And that's awesome because once people start to understand how they work Mm -hmm. and the value that they bring back, we're not going to be able to grow them every year. But when we do, they're going to do so many good things for the soil.
1: If you don't have a cover crop in 2015, it was your fault. That's right. Because exactly. that extended fall gave you the opportunity. Yes, yes. Uh, back up a minute. While that sounds like a good deal, 46% of the tillable soil in South Dakota, you've got to be asking yourself, wait a minute. With what I've learned since 1988, it should be 96%. It
2: should be. Uh, but there again, that's a culture. You talked about the three <coughs> I states mm-hmm. and where your dad is and where, he, where you, your, your, roots, your roots are. It's a culture. And compound that with the policies that we've got, the farm bill, the technologies that we have, the Roundup Ready technology. All those things have led to a very simple culture. It's an easy culture. Anybody can grow corn and beans. I mean, if if you're half an idiot, you can grow corn and beans today. It's that easy.
1: (laughs) You're making friends in Iowa now, Brian. Way to go.
2: But they need to hear this because... What's happening in all these things, all these problems that they're seeing, the diseases, the the soil nematode problems, uh, all the fungal problems, all those are coming into play because Mother Nature doesn't like that system. And Mother Nature, I guarantee you, will win. Mm -hmm. So you can keep throwing the technology at it, but at the end of the day, Mother Nature's going to say, uh-uh, no, that's not going to work.
1: But that was not an anti-technology statement. No, it was not an anti-technology statement.
2: You're saying don't use it as a crutch. That's right. If you become reliant on it, because it's an easy system, Mm -hmm. and look at our entire market systems, now a corn-bean system, we've taken wheat out of the equation, Uh, you know, we've lost our diversity. Until we get that back, uh, there's going to be some hell to pay somewhere along the line. And I think there's a lot of people now that are starting to realize the importance of that in the soil system. And that's why they're bringing the cover crops back in so quickly.
1: And a lot of people, again, were picking on three-I states because these are the messages I hear. Uh, well, you know, that works in the Dakotas, but in uh, central Illinois, we've got a hard pan, and we've got to break up that hard pan or the water can't get away because we've got 46 inches of water a year. <laughs> you in South Dakota, you've only got 15 on a good right. year. Right.
2: Well, my answer to that is always this. Before your
1: soils were ever
2: cultured, there was prairie, there was grass, or there was timber. That's simple as that. And Mother Nature managed that system so it never flooded, it never eroded. So why can't we get back to a system like that?
1: That's not totally fair because um, while while I agree with your premise, we've also done things to create dams to change the flow sure. that makes those because we want to have well we want to ship our crops down sure. the Mississippi River and we're not being critical of these things. We're just saying make sure we look at the whole picture. Sure, and I, I don't deny that. But what
2: I'm saying is from the soil's perspective, the less you disturb that soil Mm -hmm. and the more diverse uh, crop you have in that soil, the healthier it's going to get. And it begins to mitigate all those problems on its own, whether it's waterlogged, hardpan, all those issues tend to slowly go away. Is it easy? Heck no. It's not an easy thing. It takes perseverance and it takes years to get that soil back to a,
1: a, a good, healthy state. Takes years and Mother Nature, as you said earlier, always wins. <clears throat> Even when she doesn't win the big, big bowl, she get, gets a lot of first downs that you didn't plan on her getting. That make you readjust for this given year because no two years' weather is the same. It's we have averages, same. but we have the same.
2: Never the same, and Mother Nature always has a tendency to throw curveballs at you, and you have to learn to work with it instead of against it.
1: <clears throat> so, uh, where where are we at in this? Do you feel you now been working on it thirty years? Yeah, pretty much. Should progress be faster?
2: Oh, yeah. in terms
1: of people adopting and understanding and looking at all of the systems approach, we could use. Yeah,
2: and I th- again, I think uh, I think there's momentum right now. Soil health, undeniably, is a a, a feel good emotional term, and so it's out there. And every every news article you pick up, every uh, Ag Periodical you pick up talks about in some form or fashion, <laughs> cover crops or soil health or more diversity, uh, the wildlife people. Mm-hmm. You know, they they understand now that diversity is or lack of diversity is why the wildlife are going away. Uh, so it's it's all out there. And the consuming public has access to that same information. And they want to know, is their food production system, the food that they're eating, is it affecting us in a good way? Or is it in a negative way? So there's going to be pressure from all angles for us as producers to to do the right thing.
1: Don't we have more wildlife than we've ever had?
2: Oh, there's no question. We have, in our operation, we do. uh, You know, we we have a game uh, hunting lodge. And so it's part of our business. And we do not want to release birds. We want to make, we may uh, create the habitat so that those birds flourish naturally. Mm -hmm. uh, Because that's an important part of the marketing aspect of that. It's a wild pheasant hunt. And so with all the residues and all the different crops, we've, we've seen numbers go up, not down.
1: You can't even drive through Tripp County, South Dakota without killing a pheasant. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, yeah. on, on any given day on that road from pressure to winter, you'll see a dozen dead birds.
2: Yeah. And, and, and deer too.
1: I mean, uh, there's a lot more deer than there was when I was a kid. Yeah. Far more. We're going to finish up on this segment. We, we will be back. We've got one more. We'll finish it from here after this. Yeah, just a reminder, this conversation did take place on December the 10th, 2015, although soil health, I believe, my goodness, that was six years ago, well, actually five years ago in a month. Where does the time go? We'll get back to the last segment with Brian Jorgensen. Jorgensen's have been leaders in developing niche programs, Lone Creek Cattle Company, Although the overall concept is quite different, the Piedmontese cattle and the certified Piedmontese system, the quality of beef that we're striving for here is tenderness. The myostatin gene is present. It's an inactive state of the myostatin gene that allows for rapid muscle growth and tender beef. At the end of the day, it's the tender beef that gets people coming back to certified Piedmontese. You, the cattleman, get rewarded properly. New year, new deal now a minimum of a $200 premium over feeder calf price. I'm just here to tell you that our calves sold, we actually sold them and shipped them uh, this past weekend, 530 pounds, our net is $1,160 per head. That's because Lone Creek stands behind the genetics they put together in a certified Piedmontese system. Welcome back to Rural Route. I'm Trent Luce with the 2015 leopold conservation award recipient brian jorgensen one part of the spoke one spoke in the wheel yeah what about the leopold conservation award tell us about that itself you know
2: uh up until about four years ago i really didn't know much about the leopold uh award and dean barry dunn approached me uh four or five years ago and says you know you need, to, uh, you need to look into this, you need to apply for it. He says, you guys fit the model, you fit what it's all about. And so I started looking into it, and uh, Aldo Leopold was a, a true conservationist, and he had vision very similar to what my dad would have had, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in terms of what he did in the genetic side. But Le- Aldo Leopold had visions of, uh, of conserving the soil in ways that, you know, most people didn't understand at the time. At the time, you know the technology was till 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 plow plow plow, but he saw
1: early uh, like 1900, yeah, early 1900s. Yeah, early 1900s, 1920s. Okay, right,
2: right. Uh, and so he saw the devastation coming and decided to create. You know all this this he tried to document all the knowledge that he had, and he went all over the world, uh, and and watched and observed different practices, and uh, so it's really all about preserving the soil whether it's native prairies or the cropland or whatever it's just it's about doing things that uh god intended to 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 be done and it's really it's kind of a religious to me it's kind of a religious thing because you become part of the soil which is god's creation Mm -hmm. and you learn how to take care of it in such a way that he would want that and uh sounds kind of corny in a way but that's how i view it
1: i don't know if they get uh um enough recognition or awareness to what's going on. I think part of that is sometimes they've uh, partnered with people that we wonder if they really have the best interest of agriculture at heart. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, and, and South Dakota here,
2: I think it's a strong organization. Of course, with the Grasslands Coalition, uh, their objective is to preserve the native prairie system. And so it's a really it's a good fit. Uh, but I think... What you just said, though, there's a lot of organizations out there that understand the importance of that conservation. Uh, it's it's part of being sustainable for multiple generations, and if they don't play a part of that, then they're going to be someday they're going to be out. Um, so, conservation has become, I think, in the forefront of most most people in agriculture anyway, that are either in the, the providing services or
1: actually working the soil conservation is in the forefront now. Outside of the world of agriculture, people who want to talk about conservation usually take preservation and hijack conservation because conservation is, as Theodore Roosevelt envisioned it, utilizing the resource but managing the resource and continue to make it better. We seem to have this notion growing outside of the agricultural circles that if we just put it into a museum or make it into a park and nobody can go touch it. It'll yeah. be better. No. And that's, we
2: know how to manage it. That's exactly right. And that's, that was one of the things that Aldo Leopold talked about is being able to make a living on the soil because that's what we're here to do. And, but we need to do it in such a way that everything wins. The soils win, you win and society in general wins. And that's, those are the
1: practices that, uh, make up what we do so many people always want to use the uh the migration of the buffalo and the great prairie great land prairies how, how do you factor that into what that meant for soil health and is there anything that we can learn from that today oh, yeah i mean that's
2: <clears throat> again that's a, a mother nature system of if you want to call it what we call it today mob grazing and that's what the buffalo did on the native prairie. They mob grazed it. They intensely grazed it hard, and they moved on. But in that time that they were there, they are eating down the vegetation, and they're cycling those nutrients right back into the soils. At the same time, they're planting all the seeds that have been left from the previous uh, seeding activity of whatever was there. So it's, it was a perfect system. And so if you look at the grazing components of what we're doing, that's what we're trying to emulate. Uh, we're not there yet, but mob grazing and, and consuming the residues on the crop ground now mm-hmm. is
1: is very similar to what the buffalo would have done back in the day. So, every acre of cropland that you have at Jorgensen Landing Cattle is can, there's a, a bo- bovine animal running over it? Uh, that's, each the year? that's the goal.
2: That's uh, the goal. We're going to be a long time before we achieve that. I understand that about a third of our uh, cropland acres are leased acres. From somebody else, oh, sure. so it's very difficult for them to make them to make the investment of the fences and the waters, and it's a big investment. Uh, you know, where we've done it, it's uh, forty to fifty dollars, sixty dollars an acre. But if you amortize that over fifty
1: years mm-hmm. or a hundred years, it's, it's so really. I saw the fence that you're putting up. Yeah. You're really kind of screwing up there, aren't you? Because they're not sheep tight. No. And your whole message right here is at some point there'll be a cow and then there's going to be a sheep coming along right. behind that. Yeah.
2: And you're exactly right. Um, uh, we need some goats. We need some sheep. And I'm sitting here going, why am I saying this? <laughs> Cause I don't want and to who's gonna gonna hear this. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to have all kinds of people calling us. Saying, hey, we got some sheep. No, I. but you're right. Uh, just as there's diversity in the biological community of mm-hmm. the soil. And just as there's diversity in the crops and the plant species that we grow, we need to have diversity on the top side, consuming that because that's that's the next step. Uh, but we're probably not going to get there for a while. But you're right. That's that's part of the whole chain of how Mother Nature would intend it to be.
1: I don't think anything is more amazing in this line. Than what I found in Globe, Arizona, when I was speaking there for Arizona cattle growers, there's a in Globe there's a, a mine, and I don't remember now. I think it's a copper mine. Doesn't matter what they're mining. On the north, and this is in the middle of the desert. On the north edge of Globe, there's this big mountain of mine tailings. Yep. And a mine tailing is not. It's dirt, right? It's not soil. It is dirt. sterile. It has no value. It has zero biological activity. But there was a range scientist who I had on this very program because it was a fascinating concept to me. Took cows up on the side of this mountain, a pile of mine tailings, fed them hay, put some grass seed in their feed. Awesome. And put them up in paddocks. And over the course of about five years, very short time frame, turned that sterile mound into Rich, fertile pastures. It's exciting. And the reason they did it wasn't because they wanted to make it pastures. They had to do something because the town of Globe was completely inundated every morning with a layer of dust because the north winds would come and blow those mine tailings. So they did it, but they used a cow and simply everything you described. Fascinating. Yeah. To turn that into, if you're not familiar with that, it's just. What an education of yeah. what we can accomplish. Well, and we see people doing that, you know, especially up in the northern climates
2: uh, in Canada and in North Dakota as well. They do a lot of winter grazing uh, where they strip graze. So they instead of going out and cutting, up, cutting the hay and baling it up, mm-hmm. they cut it and just leave it lay. Then, of course, the cattle can come in and they'll forage and find that. So they're not removing any of that crop. Right. Alfalfa is a great crop for us, but unfortunately, if you think about what we're doing, we're we're cutting that crop and we're completely removing it from the soil system mm-hmm. and we're exporting it someplace else. And that's a problem. And we've got to figure
1: out how to manage that better. I contribute to this, so I'm somewhat hypocritical, but I have to believe <coughs> that you are not a fan of big round baling corn stalks and hauling them off. I am not. I contribute to it, I buy them. Because we use them for bedding, they're great cow feed, Mm -hmm. you know, supplement hay, whatever the case may be. But if you just, I always just think about that. Why would you do that? And more and more people are doing it. Yeah. Well, it's economic. There's no question (laughs) that, you know, (coughs) if
2: you have uh, $3 corn, you've got to do things to make, make money. But at the end of the day, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. You're stealing away the residues. And that's the organic matter. That's the fuel that drives the system. And so it needs to be replaced. And most of the time it's going to get replaced with synthetic fertilizers. Uh, and then we're going to have more and more water quality problems. So if you really stop and look at the big picture and how that system works, it doesn't make any economic sense whatsoever to do that. So should I just bed with straw? Well, I mean, do there. straw is the same way. Well, we, we have to have straw. We all know that. But we do it on crops that uh, are high residue crops. Oats, for example,
1: Mm -hmm. is a high residue crop. So we remove it from that instead of the winter wheat. That's one of those crops that if you look at the history of this country, we were so dependent upon oats and the number of oat acres. And these are all economics. We know that. But the number of oat acres planted in the United States each year is embarrassing. Yeah. And it's actually on the comeback. South Dakota, whether you know it or not now,
2: is the go-to state for oat seed in this country because we have uh, we funded to get our oat breeder back and we, South Dakota State uh, has a great oat breeding program now. So we are the go-to state. Oats, actually, Oats Acres in, in South Dakota are growing uh, because oats in particular, of all the cereal grains, are my favorite in a, in a rotational system because their root system is so friendly to mycorrhizal really? fungi and, and biological activity. And they're easy to
1: grow. The social media plant for the prairie. There you Oats. go. <laughs> it's friendly. <Wow. laughs> yeah. One minute. What have you not told us, Brian, that you need to? Well, I, I don't know what I've not told you,
2: but I think what I need to reiterate is, is to gain an understanding of the, of the resource that we stand on, that we take for granted every day, that if you stop and think, if we didn't have the resource, where would any of us be? Mm-hmm. we wouldn't exist. It's part of that system that's so important. And once you understand how that system works as a producer, gain an understanding of what your what your resource is. Because once you do, then that's the power.
1: Then you unleash the power of that soil. And anybody traveling through South Dakota has an open invitation, I'm sure, to stop by Ideal and Absolutely. see all of these things firsthand. Yep. And that's really the best way to, you've got to touch it. You well, that worked for it. me. Yeah, <laughs> I still remember that day. In fact, I believe my father was along with me because I think they were up here. So, Brian Jorgensen, representing the Jorgensen family, they have been the recipients of this year in South Dakota at the Cattleman's Convention of the Leopold Conservation Award. Brian, it's been a pleasure. Great to see you. Thank and you, Trent. It's been too long. That's about bottom. It has been. It has been. too I've long. been to your place. Yeah, you I've been to mine. That's true. That's true. We'll all do that. Right, well, I'll see you in central Nebraska. We have successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America. Both Brian and myself and Martin Jorgensen remind you that all roads do lead to a rural route. Just once again reminding you this was done in the spirit of a tremendous pioneer and innovator um, and mentor for myself, Martin, the late Martin Jorgensen. This week, January 2021, pardoned by the President of the United States, President Donald J. Trump. It's going to be an interesting day. Thanks for tuning in. We'll have more soon. See you then.